0: in Acts 16, verse 11, on page 1112. There is a second reading later on. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of of Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The second part of the reading is in Philippians, if you wish to turn to it. It's on page 100, oh, sorry, 1178. And it's Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Liz, for that. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's word uh, this morning. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good. Uh, we thank you that your word is based on real life. We thank you for the, the journey we've heard of Paul in Philippi and that, that we're going to be studying a real letter that he wrote to a real church. And so, Father, we pray this morning as we just begin to introduce ourselves to it. And that you would give us confidence, but more so joy in Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If you've been with us uh, since Christmas, then you will know that after, Christ- after Christmas, before Easter, uh, we were building up uh, to Easter in Mark's Gospel. Uh, we were spending our time journeying with Jesus uh, on his way to Jerusalem. We were having our, our gaze focused upon uh, all that he was about to do. Uh, we were looking ahead, having our eyes fixed upon him. Uh, and then we uh, arrived at Good Friday. Uh, we reflected. Uh, we came to eat a Sunday and, and we celebrated. And so today, two weeks later, the 1st of May, what are we going to do? Uh, do we say, okay, well, we've, we've done the Jesus stuff. Uh, and now what we're going to do is we're going to sort of move on to something else. You know, you know, we, we start with Jesus, we get that, Easter's good, uh, but now uh, we're going to move on to some sort of other teaching, uh, some sort of more uh, mature teaching. Well, let me say, uh, the Christian life is never about moving away from Jesus. Uh, the Christian life is never about moving uh, away from Jesus. Rather, it's about going deeper and deeper into him. Uh, just like uh, a tree. Uh, a tree doesn't grow by saying, oh, this soil is good, but I'm going to find some more exciting soil to go to. Uh, I'm going to send my roots out to other places. No, the way a tree grows uh, is by going deeper and Deeper. Into the same soil it's established in, by going deeper and deeper. Uh, and so that's true of us as Christians, that the way that we grow is by going deeper and deeper into Jesus. Uh, and so the letter of Philippians uh, is a letter all about Jesus. It's about Jesus, our joy. It's about going deeper into Jesus. And at the heart of the letter of Philippians, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be flipping a little bit between Acts and Philippians. You might want to have a finger uh, in both. Um, but at the heart of Philippians, chapter 2, uh, page 1179, uh, we read these words. Chapter 2, verse 6, a poem all about Jesus. Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider a quality of God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven or on earth, and on every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord's, to the glory of God the Father, at the very heart of this letter is Jesus, Jesus, our joy, and all we need is in him, and our role is to go deeper and deeper into him, and in some respect, that's a, a, a good introduction that's sort of all we need, really, that, that we 're lurching into to going into Jesus, going into Philippians. But let's just uh, take a step back a little bit. Let's look a little bit deeper uh, about uh, Philippi uh, and about this letter. Um, so Paul visited Philippi on his second missionary journey. You can kind of see there how he kind of went uh, all around different parts of the Med. Uh, and you can read about that in Acts 15 to 18. Um, that's where you'll hear about his second missionary journey. Uh, And by and large, his strategy uh, was to go to large sort of uh, cities. Uh, He would go and find the synagogue and he'd go and preach in those places and declare Jesus to the people there. Uh, And he was on his missionary journey, his second journey, uh, and then he was given a vision. Uh, This was just before the, the passage we had read in Acts 16. So Acts 16, verse 9 um, during the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, uh, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Um, Paul saw a vision of a man at Macedonia and he thought, I've got to go. But let's just clear something up a minute. Um, We're not talking about the the country that we know as Macedonia, or North Macedonia, as it's properly called there. Uh, You can see uh, in orange, that's where Macedonia is today. We're talking about the region in Greece called Macedonia, uh, and specifically Philippi, which is there. Um, So we're not about the the modern country Macedonia. There's a region in Greece called Macedonia, uh, and that's where Philippi is. That's why there's a bit of a conflict over the name. Uh, Today, But let's just just very quickly, that's in our heads so we're understanding. We're talking about a place uh, in modern-day Greece and in Greece uh, that was of the time. Uh, And Philippi was a a big city. It was the largest city in that particular uh, region, that sort of eastern region uh, of Greece. Uh, It was uh, a very metropolis city. It had been described as a a mini-Rome. And so even though that they're in Greece, actually they pride themselves on not speaking Greek but Latin. They're kind of with the times. Uh, And because it was a mini Rome, there was the worship of gods all over the place. All, uh, every and all different types of God were being worshipped there. Uh, But very specifically, uh, there was also imperial uh, worship. Uh, That is to say that they worshipped the emperor. uh, And the emperor had to be called uh, Lord and Saviour. So Philippi is a bustling city. full of every type of gods, and a place where the emperor is and Paul arrives but he gets there and he can't find uh, a synagogue so he thinks where should we go and fortunately uh, they go by the river and they just so happen uh, to meet Lydia and some other women I say just so happen of course, what we really mean is providentially in the Lord's plan. They met Lydia. And Lydia uh, was a, a God-fearer. That is to say, she was somebody who was not a Jew by uh, by, Nash, by birth, but she sort of converted uh, to Judaism. Um, and she was a woman of, of great prominence. Uh, she sold purple cloth. She would have been one of the, the higher members of society. Uh, indeed, we know she had quite a large house for the, the church to meet in. So she was quite wealthy. Uh, And she's the the first convert in Philippi, along with the the other women she's with, uh, the first members of this little uh, founding church. Uh, And then we move into this other little section that we didn't quite read all of in Acts 16. uh, The bit where where Paul uh, meets this slave girl who can predict the future and then gets put in prison. But the bit we didn't have read uh, was then what happened to Paul while he was in prison. Uh, which was namely he was there and then all the, the gates, the jails got opened and the jailer feared for his life and was going to kill himself because he thought that uh, they would have all escaped. And then Paul says, no, I'm still here. Uh, and he goes back to the jailer's house, tells them about Jesus and then they uh, become followers. And uh, The jailer himself would have been sort of the, the middle level of society. So can you see already that this church is beginning to be formed of all levels of different types of people, the, the, the real up-and-comers, The middle management, and no doubt people like this slave girl as well. All levels of people. And Paul loves this church. He really loves this church. And they love him too. We don't know how often he visited. It's it's likely he went back at least once more uh, on his third journey, which you can read about in Acts 20. It doesn't specifically say Philippi, it talks about Macedonia, but it would be funny that he didn't go to Philippi. But there's a close connection between Paul and this growing church and this urban metropolis made up of all different types of people trying to live for Jesus in a world where they're being asked to conform, asked to worship the Lord and Saviour, that's the Emperor. But if that's Philippi, then why why write this letter at all? Why would he even have this letter before us? Well, on the face of it, actually, the reason's quite simple. That somebody from Philippi came to visit Paul and he was writing a letter back to them. Uh, That's really why the letter has come about. But But what situation was Paul in? Well, if you've got your Bible, just have a look at verse 13 and 14. Uh, chapter 1, that is. Chapter 1, 13 and 14. Uh, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Uh, Paul's in prison. He's writing this letter from prison. Now, we don't quite exactly know Where? It's likely to be Ephesus or or Rome, and that will have an impact as to when it was written. But because he mentions the palace guard, it's probably Rome. Uh, And because it's Rome, that that means two things. It it means that actually of all the the prisons he stayed in, including Philippi, its conditions were the most harsh. It it means that uh, he was chained 24-7, so he's not going to sleep very well. He's going to be freezing cold. He'll be given no food whatsoever, uh, only reliant upon people who might bring him food. He's going to be in a bad way. And also, it means if he's in Rome, then he's probably expecting to be executed. And so it seems that this church, who loved Paul and he loved, heard about his situation. And they wanted to send aid. Chapter 2, verse 25. Um, this is Paul say, yeah, writing, But I think it necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Or, or 4, verse 18. I have received full payments and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering to an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Now, this church in Philippi have sent aid to Paul uh, through Epaphroditus. Now, um, we have no idea if Paul and Epaphroditus knew each other beforehand. They may have done, but they may not have done. But can you imagine his joy at seeing a brother from a church that he loves? So imagine that, that moment, Paul being, feeling abandoned and alone, cold and hungry. And then in comes Epaphroditus. That moment of connection that he, he knows he knows he's not been abandoned by the Lord. But he knows also he's not been abandoned by his brothers and sisters. He's not alone. And so it seems then that Paul's motivation for writing his letter is to thank them for their gift. It's to encourage them about how he's doing, to share news. And also to prepare the way for Timothy. Do you remember in that first reading from Philippians we had, verse 1? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He's preparing the way for Timothy uh, to come. And the letter of Philippians is pretty unique. Because at no point does Paul try to correct the church. He doesn't say, oh, you're doing okay, but you're, this is a this is problem that you just sort out. That, that's none of that in Philippians. It's a letter uh, jam-packed full of joy and love as he overflows with joy in Jesus and joy for this church which is why in that letter he describes them he describes himself verse 1 as a servant of Christ that's who his master is and then to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi to give the overseers and deacons grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ uh, and broadly speaking, I think there are um, three big themes that will come to us through this letter. Uh, they're not sort of neatly packed, you know, chapter one is this, chapter two is this, chapter three is this. They're sort of mi- muddled all together. But those three themes of, of, of being united in the gospel, uh, of serving in suffering, uh, and looking ahead to the Lord's return, are uh, themes he comes back to time and time and time Again. But all those three themes are, are really grounded in one theme. They're grounded in the Lord Jesus. Which is why that little poem that I read in 2, 6 to 11, stands at the very centre of this letter. All three of these themes find their working out from those words. So, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider a quality of God something to be used to his own advantage. That is to say that Jesus himself did not come to serve, to, to be served, but to serve. He, he did not come to, to express his power and superiority. He came as a lowly servant. Uh, so that means that the gospel says that, that all are equal It means that all are equally loved and valued. And it means that all are equally worthwhile of service. And so it means that a a disunited church just makes no sense. In fact, it's a paradox. We can't be a church in Jesus that's disunited. And then verses 7 and 8 uh, rather, by, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance the a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, Jesus' life was marked by suffering for the service of others. And Paul says, here, look, I'm in chains for Christ. I'm in chains suffering for the gospel in order that I may make, I may make Christ known. Uh, One of the many sort of quotable verses that we find in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. Uh, Paul, uh, astonishingly in that verse, he's actually saying uh, the sacrifice is not to die. The sacrifice is to live. The sacrifice is not to give up my life to death. The sacrifice is to keep living in the service of others. That's the sacrifice. He says, I'm going to suffer for the service of others. So should you. Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. He suffered to serve you. And then 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is saying the reality is that Jesus is king. He will return. And he's encouraging these Philippian brothers to live with that day in view. Yes, you may live in a world that's saying the emperor is king. Yes, you may live in a world that says uh, he's the one to worship. But look and remember, pull back the curtain and see that Jesus is the king. And live with that day in view. Unity in the gospel, serving in suffering, and the Lord's return. So why should we study this letter? Why is this a good letter for us to study? Well, it's because knowing Jesus personally will radically transform our everyday life. Knowing Jesus personally will will change the way that we live and act. Knowing Jesus personally will mean that we'll long to be united in the gospel. And that's not simply an academic unity. It's a relational unity. It's getting on with each other. It's loving each other. It's acting in the same way that we've been treated to each other. It's saying, I really want the best for you. And I will go out of my way to make that happen. It means not grumbling and complaining when we don't get our way or when things don't go how we want them to. Because not once, not once did Jesus ever grumble or complain about us. And he, he's got a lot of reasons to grumble about me. <laughs> but not once does he ever do that. Unity in the gospel that's real, not just academic. But then secondly, knowing Jesus personally means we'll be willing to, to suffer in service of others, in service of the gospel. It might be on a, on a big scale. Obviously here in Philippians, he's encouraging them to keep going, knowing that they may face opposition if they say, I'm not going to worship the emperor. They will face persecution. Uh, and it may be for us on the big scale saying, actually, I'm prepared to be isolated, to be known as that person I'm prepared to face that because Jesus did the same for me but also in little ways I'm going to serve you by giving up my time my energy I'm going to serve you by remembering little details I'm going to serve you by saying, actually, it's more important that I do this. It's more important that I do the PA in the church so that others can hear and listen. We serve, we suffer because we want to serve. Serving in suffering. But then lastly, knowing Jesus personally will mean we have the Lord's return firmly fixed in our eyes. Does that thought fill our thinking? Does the Lord's return colour each day, knowing that that's the day we live in view? I guess for many of us, uh, we move through our days, and they perhaps have a similar pattern to them. And the idea of Jesus being King—it's sort of an academic reality, but but not really lived out. One. What, what will it mean to live with that in view? Paul's going to come back saying, look, live with Jesus in view. Because knowing Jesus personally will transform our lives. It will transform the way we conduct our relationships here at church. It It will transform the way we conduct our relationships with those outside the church. And it will transform the way we look at ourselves, knowing that Jesus is king. And one day, he's going to come back. Knowing Jesus personally will deeply transform our experience because Jesus is our joy so why not uh, this week read Philippians, it will take you about 20 minutes Uh, you could even read it every day uh, and just be soaking yourselves uh, in it uh, praying uh, things through Um, you could also um, grab one of these Uh, we'll try and get some for we will get some for next week Uh, it's just the, the book of Philippians in a little book That you can write on and scribble on. Um, It's one pound. Again, this is another quick interactive moment. Just a show of hands. Who might want one of those? And we'll just any ideas, quick. Not committing anything. Okay, that's fine. Just the numbers, vaguely. That's fine. Um, But that that'd be really helpful. Bring that along each week. You can scribble your own notes. You can highlight stuff. Uh, Get uh, into the text. But this letter is all about going deeper. And deeper into Jesus, not moving on from him, sending down roots because he is our joy. And knowing Jesus personally will radically transform our lives because Jesus is our joy. As we close, let me read those verses once again. That great poem in chapter two about Jesus, our joy. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory
0: of God the Father. Amen.